I'm Kyle McNulty, and you're listening to Secure Ventures, the show that follows cutting-edge founders in the cybersecurity space to understand their plights, glories, and revolutionary products. With me in this episode is Shashank Tavari. Shashank is a true Silicon Valley veteran, having spent time across several companies as VP of Engineering, CTO, Head of Big Data, Advisor, Investor, Expert in Residence, and the list goes on. He has a deep technical background, and his aspirations for Uno clearly demonstrate that expertise. As we discuss in detail in the episode, Uno is a new approach to AI for security operations, focusing on the concept of story stitching. Story stitching is the process of creating a story from disparate pieces of information, typically to explain an outcome and derive its origin. In security operations, this is essentially root cause analysis, an activity still largely reserved for humans today. Their team is reimagining the boundaries of AI in a security operations setting, and Shashank has seemingly radical ideas for how this will transform the analyst workforce. More on that towards the end of the episode. Enjoy. Quick note from yours truly, I'm currently accepting new sponsors. If you're interested in learning more, you can check out the advertiser info sheet on the website over at secureventures.io, link in the description. Shashank, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me, Kyle. Let's talk about the origin of Uno, because you have a deeply technical background, experience in AI, machine learning, data analytics. You have a background as a software engineer. You're head of product, head of development at several different uh, companies in the past. And then you decided to set out on your own and build Uno, focusing on essentially enabling security incident response through improved AI. And this is a space where there's clearly other players today. Tell me a little bit more about your decision to to set off on the UNO journey and what it was that inspired you. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great question and also uh, something we get asked all the time. I think every time people get to learn about UNO, their very first question is, hey, what inspired you? Why UNO? Um, so I think, yeah, this is um, there's an interesting backstory to this. So, you know, when we got started with Uno, um, it wasn't really uh, thought of in terms of a company or it wasn't really thought of in terms of, uh, hey, here is how we're going to build it. Um, in fact, it got inspired because uh, we spoke to a bunch of different practitioners, you know, people that we had worked with, people that we had done business with, um, you know, folks who are experts in this broader domain of incident response, detection, uh, you know, just investigation. And we were trying to really thread the needle and understand the details of what really holds them back today. What is the most complex part of their job? You know, where do they struggle the most? And I think we started hearing patterns of stories come out after conversations one after the other. And they all essentially gravitated on a couple of topics. On one side, most of them were fearful of the variety and frequency of attacks and threats and, you know, just uh, possible sort of, you know, uh, areas of compromise or indicators of compromise and um, also just the kinds of attacks, you know, that were happening all day long. And they were worried that would they be able to keep up with it, right? Like, do they have the right level of sophistication? Do they have the right tools? Are they on top of it to really make sense of it all and, you know, really kind of tame it? And that would be one worry and, you know, one thread that we would see over and over again. And at the same time, in the same light, uh, people would also speak about skill shortage or labor shortage, you know, which has been plaguing the cybersecurity industry a whole lot. Um, 
over the last multiple years and you know, it's become worse actually over the last few. Um, and I think the when you combine the two, you know, just the complexity of things to be solved and then at the same time, uh, you know, less smart people and less trained staff to kind of do that, uh, that makes for a recipe, you know, for disaster. You know, that's something that becomes very stressful. Uh, the existing teams get very burnt out and there isn't really a viable, scalable solution to, to solve the underlying problem. So, so as we dug deeper into it, you know, the um, part that we kind of picked up is that there definitely needs to be a completely new thought. There cannot be yet another product in the market that already has been tried, tested. And the second part was there needs to be an element of an expert system that does bunch of the heavy lifting, right? So that the humans, if you may, or the analysts, smart analysts, not only get the power tool in their hands, but also stop doing a lot of the grunge work, you know, stop doing a lot of the manual stitching that they need to do. And, uh, you know, they're essentially able to accelerate and do a lot more. So so that's the genesis, really. You know, that's the backstory for Uno. And that's what inspired us, that problem, if you may. And uh, as we uh, thought through a lot more and experimented a lot, lot more, we, we came up with what we have come up today. Now, I have a hypothesis here just based off of your data background. But the problems that you described, the complexity and the skills shortage seem like they apply to so many different domains of security. I think you could, again, just apply those concepts to identity and access management, application security, cloud security, vulnerability management, whatever it is. So why choose security operations and incident response as the area that you really wanted to focus on for solving these problems? Yeah, it's true. So, you know, our understanding is that over the last few years, whether um, effective or not, a number of tools have emerged in the in the broad sort of uh, area of detection and response. And what has really happened is that all these tools, if you may, are sending out signals all day long, right? So they're sending alerts, they're sending notifications, and informing the um you know, security practitioners of all kinds of misconfigurations and misalignments and, uh, you know, weaknesses and, uh, you know, possible areas of exploitable, um, you know, uh, setups. And what is really happening is that, you know, these are very isolated. You know, each of these, whether they are coming from the IAM standpoint or, you know, an endpoint standpoint, like what the EDRs do, or what is coming out of your one scanning or what is coming out of your posture management, it's just giving you one piece of the puzzle, one part of the story. And then kind of leaving for the analysts and the incident response folks to really do the heavy lifting, which is, okay, let me go and first figure out, is this a real problem? You know, is this, is this indeed something that I need to worry about? Or is this a false positive? And then if it is indeed something that I need to worry about, you know, how bad is the situation? You know, what is the blast radius for this? Um, how could I be hit with this, you know, particular weakness that I have in my system, which manifests in the form of a misconfiguration or, you know, some sort of a uh, sort of incorrect setup, if you may, or exploitable setup. And uh, it all ultimately boils down to one simple thing. It's like, hey, how do I make sense of this? Uh, why is this important? And, you know, how can I go solve it? And so as we dug deeper and deeper, I think we were very convinced that I think the investigation part of the puzzle is really where the gap is and really what needs to be solved. Now, I must mention, though, that I think we should not uh, confuse this completely as, you know, purely security operations. I mean, the security operations workflow is a manifestation of 
how we built our workflows over the last few years, right? The emergence of socks and the emergence of SIMs and, you know, SOARs on top of it is really how we have understood security operations so far, right? But with the kinds and varieties and types of threats rapidly changing, I think even the structure, the way we operate, the way we uh, manage those workflows is going to really go through a massive, uh, you know, sort of rethinking and reorientation. And that's where sort of UNO comes in where if the future is going to be different, if the types of attacks are going to be different, um, what kind of methods, you know, what kind of approaches would really work in that world? Hmm. Um, let's talk about that more, right? Because to your point, there are other platforms that exist out there that have tried to solve these similar problems, specifically in the security operations space. SOAR, for one example, security orchestration, automation, and response platforms that are trying to provide these additional automated workflows that take out some of the repetitive grunt work like you already mentioned. But we've also talked about your renewed perspective, let's say, on solving a grander problem that addresses the, the changes in the industry and, and pushes for a 10x improvement rather than a 10% improvement. So tell me, what's really the, the unique element of the UNO approach? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, there are two parts that we should uh, we should just keep in mind about existing solutions without necessarily going deeper into exact one of them, you know, whether it's a SOAR approach or security analytics approach or some other point solution approach. But in each of these, I think the, the idea really is that, um, you know, a certain part of the story or a certain part of the picture is surfaced, right? And then... Um, it's the security analyst, it's the incident response personnel, it's the security architect who then starts putting the entire story together. So there is a lot of work that goes behind the scenes, which manifests in the form of a lot of, you know, tickets and back and forth, sort of looking through logs and looking through, uh, you know, evolution over a period of time and just kind of stitching that whole story, right? So that's, that's the one part that is left still out of band, despite all the orchestration, despite all the automation that happens. And then the bigger piece of the puzzle that really ends up becoming something beyond the capability of most source or, you know, most analytics tools is, well, who makes the decision and um, how is that decision made, right? So that part of the puzzle still remains totally outside of the purview. And usually that's where the most complexity is. I mean, sure enough, you can take larger throughputs, you can process through, you know, larger you know, massive volumes of uh, of alerts and notifications or inputs. But the real value add is in the ones that matter, how do we decide, um, you know, how serious is that problem? And then what really needs to be fixed? What is the underlying root cause? Um, whether this particular root cause is attributed to one single input or one single sort of, you know, uh, sort of a misconfiguration or setup, or does it relate to a broader sets of things that ultimately are, you know, culminating and showing up as this form of evidence that we see? Um, so really the story boils down to the heavy lifting of story stitching, the heavy lifting of root cause analysis, the heavy lifting of, you know, trying to make sense of all of it is still a very human activity. And, you know, none of these tools really, in fact, solve it, but, um, you know, expect the humans to come in and do it. Now, what Uno is saying is that that's the part that I think we need to really up our game on, right? If we start doing a lot of autonomous and automatic story stitching, where the evidence is kind of collected automatically, is sort of categorized correctly automatically, uh, you know, and the root cause is sort of already surfaced with various sort of probabilistic possibilities attached with it, 
and then also all the context is stitched around it, well, now the humans can make decisions based on this uh, you know, newer capability that they have at their disposal a lot better, a lot faster, a lot cheaper, a lot more effective than they having to do all the heavy lifting. So really, that's where the differentiation comes in, and that's where really the 10x starts becoming more real. Let's talk about that concretely, right? I mean, when you talk about story stitching and this idea of pivoting away from just anomaly detection, being able to tell the full story, the, again, your words, more labor-intensive piece of the entire analysis process, what is it that Uno is actually doing to stitch that story together? Yeah, so, you know, Uno has, you can think of Uno almost as in, you know, sort of three layers, you know, broadly it is almost a operating system, a platform for lots of different capabilities that you would need to do an effective investigation. Um, At the very heart of it, it starts with very effective data processing, right? And what we are able to do is we are able to essentially comb through and build a reality or a snapshot of reality over a period of time. Right. And what that means is it's not only about configuration or infrastructure or applications, but we essentially build a whole relationship with its existing state uh, for all of these. Right. For infrastructure, for applications, for policies, for, you know, the rules that are governing the behavior, the, um, the operational data sets that is telling us about the behavior. And then, of course, uh, you know, things around it, which is uh, your configurations and your metadata and everything else that sort of impacts it. And we we essentially snapshot that over a period of time. So we have a full historical picture, which allows uh, for us and our engine to kind of time travel and reason through time and compare it and look at the evolution and study it at a level of depth that normally is very difficult to do because, you know, you don't firstly have that entire data set. Now, the beauty of this, the way we do that, is that we don't need to be, you know, sitting in the infrastructure in which we are observing. In fact, we are a completely agentless model, and uh, it's very easy to plug in, uh, very easy to get started. Uh, goes without saying, it's a little opinionated in the way that it uh, is set up, and uh, certainly it works with some stacks better than others at this point in time, and, you know, that surface would keep expanding. Uh, but the main idea here is that a lot of that combing through uh, pulling out the relationships, building a picture that you can see, look back in time and try and reason through and kind of search through and uh, try to make sense of gets automatically sort of built up as a priori. You know, So that's the foundation we start on. And then the second piece that we do is really goes deeper into this whole sort of realm of explainable AI, um, you know, starts looking into the whole root cause analysis beyond the classic sort of supervised learning and anomaly detection techniques. In fact, we use none of those, you know, no anomaly detection in our in our stack. And um, what we also look into is a lot of exploratory analysis, right? And this is something that has been around in security for a long time, but not enough, you know, talked about. Uh, if you really think about it, um, the assumption that we know everything and we understand everything that is impacting is probably naive. Uh, there are multiple parts of the threat landscape or the attack surface or, you know, even possible sort of uh, vulnerable areas that are always sort of blind spots uh, for most security teams. And, you know, that's what they try to cover with red teaming effort or, you know, they try to cover with pen testing and audits and other sort of mechanisms. And where we are coming at it is that there is a first class place for exploratory analysis as a part of investigation where what if and simulation and, you know, a lot of even generative AI techniques are being applied uh, where we start looking at possibilities. 
you know, and start studying exploitability. So, you know, there you go. You know, you combine these three things, the exhaustive sort of smart stitching and data analysis, you know, combined with more explainable AI and root cause digging with probabilistic reasoning. And then the third part of the puzzle, exploratory analysis. And, you know, this just allows for completely new capabilities, you know, new things that none of the vendors are doing. The industry is still sort of, you know, trying to figure out how to use these and something that actually yields a lot of great results, right? Like something that just makes the whole process, you know, faster, better, uh, more efficient. Right. So if I'm understanding the story stitching capabilities that you're describing, which seems to be the, the kind of core underlying capability that, that all of these other features are built off of, it's saying, hey, we're going to take an almost infrastructure first approach to monitoring that says, here's what your configuration state looks like today. Here's the, the known good state. And if we detect any changes in those configuration pieces, like not just activity in the environment, but configuration changes on the infrastructure itself, then we'll be able to use that and tie together all those various changes across the entire landscape. Is that essentially the right idea? Well, it definitely is. It includes a lot of what we do, but you know, I would add some more nuances to it. So one is when we collect all these data sets and build the story, uh, we don't uh, try to qualify them as good or bad states. What we're really doing is we are capturing a state at that point in time. Um, the other stuff that we are trying to do is that we are trying to look at it as a multi-layered state, right? So there is the infrastructure at the bottom, right? Like things uh, that are the foundational pieces on which applications run, on which policies are configured, right? On which uh, the workflows occur or, you know, the data flows are enabled. Then we walk up that layer to the next layer where we start studying the applications itself. Hey, what binaries came in? What's actually running? What's in that code, right? So there is that whole sort of parsing the story around the applications. And then we start going up the next layer, which is, okay, what do the interactions look like between applications? And then we start looking at the context, like you already mentioned. You know, We look at, okay, so what policies or metadata or constraints are around these you know, sort of behavioral things that are being observed? both at the infrastructure and the application layer. And then last but not the least, we also take in what I like to think of as extensions or, you know, the additional inputs that play a very important part. For example, you know, if, if there is a widely known exploitable vulnerability, you know, something that we talk about all day long and that's lurking in your infrastructure, well, you want to take that into account because, you know, your exploitability or your impact on various resources that are within you know, a certain radius of the presence of that vulnerability would certainly get impacted. So you want to bring that in as a part of your story. So that's how we kind of parse it at multiple layers. And then this is, you can think of it as a horizontal stack. You know, if you were to just picturize this, that, hey, you've got the baseline, you know, something's on top of it, you know, some more on top of it, and, you know, so on and so forth, and you build your tower. And then what we're really doing is we are taking snapshots of this tower, if you may, the multi-layer tower, uh, on a periodic basis. So now we also have, you know, almost on the on the second axis, uh, that whole version of that reality, if you may, that we constructed. And now we have a view of how that reality is evolving, right? So we know that, hey, this is how it was five minutes back. And this is what it looks like right now. And then, you know, we capture another five minutes later. And now we start getting a sense of where did we start? What all changed? How did the impact percolate? Or, you know, how did it uh, kind of, you know, go through the system? And then what was the next state? And then the next state and the next state, right? So now we have an understanding of both all the layers and just the evolution over time, right? Which is kind of very unique. It allows us to really 
reason through at multiple multiple levels and you know parse that and slice and dice it in various different ways to understand and you know pictureize reality really yeah this layered stack approach and and state based approach as well seems like a fascinating change to just the the overall process for working through a security incident i mean I'm curious because MITRE ATT&CK has gained so much traction over the last handful of years as being one of the leading frameworks for just outlining how security teams should think through security operations, the different tactics and techniques that might influence their organization. But the situation or, or the process that you're describing seems like it maybe diverges from that traditional way of thinking about security monitoring where instead of saying, hey, these are the types of activity that you should be looking for, you're saying, hey, these are the types of changes in state that you can piece together across your entire ecosystem that might be indicative of some activity. Am I thinking through this the right way? And, and how have you uh, tried to maybe differentiate the model that you're thinking of from traditional security monitoring models right. like attack? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think, you know, you mentioned a good part there, Kyle. So things like MITRE framework have certainly become very, very common ways or common approaches of looking at, uh, you know, essentially just the beginning, the the sort of uh, transition and then the uh, culmination of an attack, if you may, right? And they have defined that very nicely into multiple stages and techniques. Um, we don't necessarily conflict with it. I think the way to uh, think about UNO is that um, we provide... Uh, a more bottoms-up approach, right? Like irrespective of security, irrespective of, you know, what you're trying to look at, you could perhaps use a similar approach to what we are using for, let's say, application health monitoring, right? Now, we, of course, we are not in the application health monitoring business. We're very focused on security, but, you know, our approach could apply there as well, right? Because we're taking a more bottoms-up, you know, like I just kind of talked through the whole horizontal stack evolving over time type of an approach as the foundational piece to reason through, right? Now, on top of it, of course, you can bring in other constructs, uh, you know, constructs like MITRE framework, constructs like, um, you know, you can think of it just the one scanning sort of approaches that we take, right, where we look at priorities and triaging and, you know, severities to kind of walk through, Um, also exploitability numbers or, you know, metrics that we attach with it. Uh, you could also have a viewpoint of a software supply chain centric view where you start looking at, hey, what's the origin? What's bringing in? What did the cat bring in? And, you know, what is the sort of damage that can happen with this uh, particular sort of vulnerability that is baked into my binary? Uh, and you could also look at it from a standpoint of, um, you know, more external pieces that most of these uh, DNR tools, if you may, or detection and response tools tend to pick up on, right? Like, hey, you've got this misconfiguration out there, or, you know, this particular topology doesn't look right. In all of these cases, I think the the question very quickly, right, like the moment you are aware of this, uh, really boils down to the um, the second level question, or the more important question, which is, okay, given that there is a threat, let's say, of lateral movement, right, as MITRE framework might uh, try to reason through. Your immediate next, um, of course, uh, you know, piece on your plate would be, well, how do I find out what's the possible lateral movement attack that, uh, you know, is viable in my infrastructure, in my application stack, right? And so the moment you start looking at that question, you have to really start piecing all your data together to reason through it, to see, hey, what's connected to what? You know, what's the commonality? 
uh, what kind of setup maybe because they run on the same node or they share the same keys or you know have some sort of a shared um, authorization model that allows for that lateral movement right and so then you can reason through and start applying mitre framework but then the question becomes how do you find out the answers to those questions how do you find out the answers to the questions of what lies within the same authorization zone and you know um, how bad or the blast radius of that could be or you know what lies within the same uh, node plus port plus some other configuration that becomes exploitable within a you know a lateral movement or privilege escalation or some other method and uh, that's where uno really jumps in because you know what uno is saying is that in order to reason through at that level of depth you will need to understand the state of the application you will need to understand the state of the infrastructure and you will need to have awareness of the underlying operational metrics and behavior and the context right only then can you very confidently make this determination and uh, last but not the least in fact uno does this for you you know you don't even have to ask uno to do this but this is what uno is doing with its story stitching and its root cause analysis it's just doing this all the time on a continuous basis and reasoning through a lot of these and sure you know you can ask it specific questions or you can take it down a certain path but uh, that's exactly the the second level of detail that it's really specializing in and you know kind of surfacing hmm. so let's switch gears here a little bit because we've talked a lot about the product itself and and some of the different capabilities that come with it and again i i think it's a fascinating uh, potentially incredibly impactful new approach to just how security monitoring is perceived but one of the things that i noticed in in some of your materials is this idea of not a tool to enhance an analyst's work, but a tool to replace an analyst. And that goes back to this whole idea of stitching a story together and reducing the manual labor required. But but you went further than that. And you said it's going to replace an analyst, not just reduce the manual work required from an analyst. What's the thought process there? And how do you think that would impact the industry if we're truly replacing the security analyst function? It's a very touchy topic, Kyle, right? Like as, as you and I can both imagine. Um, I would like to address this in two ways, right? So one is uh, if, you, if you think about it today, right, the status quo, we need a large number of people and we need a large number of skilled people to, um, to do what we need to do in the, in the cybersecurity industry, you know, especially uh, smart folks who can understand reason uh, you know, who can protect, right? Play the defender's role, but also at the same time, um, think through all the possibilities, right? So we're talking about a very highly skilled manpower. Um, at the same time, in the same breath, the reality is that uh, we have a very acute shortage, right? And the acute shortage is at two levels. One is we don't have enough of these people, right? Who are very skilled and, uh, you know, who've got these ninja chops to come help us. And then at the same time, even the ones that we have are struggling to keep pace. You know, they got to keep upping their game as well. And, you know, many of them have transitioned into cybersecurity only recently or come from other domains. And they've got plenty of learning to do. So now the, uh, the reality really um, points us in one direction. One that we certainly need ways to augment right now. We need to... Uh, you know, the, the biggest sort of demand for today is to make sure that the ones we have, you know, the people who are already in the front lines, the cybersecurity, you know, incident response folks, analysts, security researchers, uh, even I would say the broader security team, which includes, 
you know, the compliance folks and, you know, AppSec teams and so on and so forth, they are all just faster, better, more efficient and are able to do their job um, at, you know, a 10x capacity than what they do today. So, you know, that is something that is the need of the hour irrespective. Now, the question is, how do you get there? Can you suddenly train them overnight and, you know, make a smarter selves of themselves? And, you know, sometimes somehow we'll kind of realize that reality. Um, I think not. You know, I think that we all like to believe like that as humans. But, you know, it, as we've seen from multiple different domains, it's actually very hard. It's very, diff very, very difficult problem to solve. So then the question becomes, well, can you give them a power pack? You know, can you give them, uh, you know, a ninja tool, if you may, that will help them get there? You know, even if they don't end up becoming the 10x of themselves, can they become 2x of themselves by, you know, using and leveraging this, this tool that is now at their disposal? And that is really the first entry point, if you may, or the first way that we think about, uh, you know, Uno. But having said that, the, the reality is that a lot of the work that we are doing today um, is also something that can easily be automated, not only automated out, but can be uh, passed on to an expert system, a system that can understand, make decisions, uh, can do a lot of the work that I would say um, humans are still doing. You know, they are still classifying stuff. They're still uh, doing the basic sort of story stitching, as I was saying. They're still uh, trying to make the initial sense and filtering decisions, if you may, right? And they're still trying to figure out whether uh, what could be the corresponding root causes and therefore kind of doing the, uh, what I would call, uh, you know, tier one thinking or the initial thinking. Now, all of that can certainly be farmed out and, you know, can really be done by a smart machine, which the current technology is very much, uh, you know, making it possible, right? So that's that's a second jump, if you may. And then the third part is that, you know, as we transition and as we evolve and, you know, the emergence of AI is here for sure, you know, that's not reversing. We will indeed see that a lot of things that, uh, you know, trained personnel do today, not only in cybersecurity, but, you know, at industry at large, would perhaps be replaced by um, these smart machines, you know, these expert systems, these, these AI-driven uh, intelligent systems. Uh, the question is, what, what do humans do then, right? Are they just coming here and taking our jobs away? Well, my sense is that humans evolve to doing the next, you know, sort of higher order items and, uh, you know, taking those tools to harness the power of those tools. I think that's what humans would start doing. And then the history is sort of, you know, sort of already provides examples of that. You know, if you look back in history, that is what has happened, right? We used to do a lot of uh, manual labor, a lot of manual work, they got replaced by smart tools, and then the smart tools became even smarter, and, you know, that led to a whole mass automation and, uh, you know, the emergence of the digital world that we live in today. And then this is really the phase, the next phase, right? This is really the next journey that we are on. Uh, Uno certainly wants to be that enabler, right? And I think uh, to kind of conclude on that, I think I would say think of us in the same way that one thinks of technology, let's say, in the world of cars, right? I mean, you've got uh, the basic sort of manual ways of driving and, you know, that got transitioned over to a lot of automatic systems, right? And, uh, you know, a lot of control systems that became uh, something that were not manual anymore and the car kind of decided for itself. This is where automation came in. And, you know, then we have transitioned into lane assists and, you know, smart parking and stuff like that. And uh, then the last, of course, culmination of that is we don't even need a driver, right? We'll have the autonomous Know, driving machine where we would sit in and we'd be able to do other things, uh, other smart, intelligent, uh, fun things, right? And the, the car will kind of drive itself. 
And I think that Uno AI wants to do that in the world of cyber as well, right? And we are somewhere in our layer two right now, right? If you really think about it from a maturity of the industry, we're still looking at only basic automation. We're saying, well, let's raise the bar. Let's at least get to the point where we have, uh, you know, the, the metaphorical lane assist and the metaphorical driver's assist and smart sensors, right? And then that paves the path for an autonomous driving world, Right. So, so that's definitely the ambition and that's definitely the reality as well, you know, the, the direction the world is headed in, irrespective of what we're doing here. I think that was well said. To your point, there's an evolution inherent with the technological progress that exists. And, and you mentioned the concept of could analysts in theory work 10 times better and maybe from a purely... Uh, intelligence standpoint, like evolving 10x over the night as a human being is not possible, at least today in, in our current boundaries of technology. But if that was the case, and there was a way that analysts could become 10 times more efficient, would you need the same number of analysts? The answer is probably not. Uh, and so by definition, then you're replacing analysts by following through with that model. Um, and so, again, it's just an, an interesting way to take a step back and think about the progress of automation and AI within security operations. And it sounds like, again, you're taking a very interesting, forward-looking approach to the future of, of the space as a whole. So I'm excited to, to stay tuned. I'm sure this is something we could go into a whole nother level or three uh, deeper in terms of the the technical capabilities, uh, but I appreciate the the rundown in terms of some of the the core pieces and, and core value of the Uno platform, and I'm excited to to follow along and see what's next. So thanks again for the time, Shashank. Last question for you: Are you currently looking for investment or hiring? Well, so we have grown from like you know a couple of co-founders to a ten people company today. Um, we always hire opportunistically. If there are, you know, excellent, smart people that want to be on this exciting journey, I think we are always excited to bring them on board. Uh, so yes, if any listener is interested and wants to reach out, uh, do give us a shout. You know, we want to hear from you. Um, and then, of course, as far as fundraising goes, uh, we got started last year. You know, we've grown very rapidly within the last 12 months. Um, we still got money in the bank. We had raised some. You know, we were lucky enough to get support from some incredible, uh, you know, founders of security companies and you know some niche sort of cybersecurity focused funds. Uh, we actually did not disclose how much we raised, but we raised a small amount. You know, think of it as a pre-seed amount, but plenty to get us going through the year and you know last us for another. Um, we've been getting a lot of inbound leads. You know, the area is very exciting. It's very promising. It's very new. So you know, obviously, a lot of investors are very. Uh, very intrigued by Pete uh, by this and they want to learn more and they want to be part of the story and uh, our answer is very simple of course you know we'll need to raise a lot more money and hire a lot more people to realize our ambition and you know build the company that we want to build uh, but we will do it in the logical way and you know of course if we find the right people who want to be on the journey um, we certainly want them on board right so so yes we will we will speak to anyone who um I think is on the same plane in terms of our thesis, our philosophy, and you know the goals that we want to accomplish here. Perfect. Well, best of luck. And again, thank you so much for the time. Well, thank you so much for having me, Kyle. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and you can write to me at kyle at secureventures.io. I'm Kyle McNulty, and you've been listening to Secure Ventures.